Thank you. Have a seat. Have a seat. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and the epistle to the, to the Romans. We're going to begin a new series today. And I'm entitled the, the series, Made in His Image. Made in His Image. Man, what would it be like if every person on this planet, every man, woman, boy, and girl, could understand that they are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God? Wouldn't that be amazing if we could all see that? Genesis 1, chapter 20, uh, chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female, he created them. And we want to be kind of unpacking that as we go through the series together. And, and what is biblical manhood and what is biblical womanhood? What does God want uh, as He has designed us, male and female? And what is it about that that speaks to who God is? And what do we learn about God from that? And, and, but before we can really get into that and unpack that, we've got to deal with an obvious problem. An obvious issue that's facing our culture today. That we are living in the land of confusion whenever it comes to this particular issue. That we are living in a great deception. And the Bible says that toward the end, in the last days, that men and women will be confused. There will be a great deception, a great delusion that falls upon people across the face of this planet. And so we're living in that right now. And we think about some, some of these, the LGBTQ influence on our culture. That you can be whoever and whatever you want to be. Not anything but the person that God has created and ordained for you to be. Through your biology. And we understand... It gets even worse than that. The indoctrination of our own children through drag queen story hours and pornographic books in public school libraries and the perversion of the LGBT agenda, all pervasion of that all over uh, TV and internet and streaming media. Everywhere you turn, it's there. I went on to, uh, to put on what I thought was a children's movie yesterday about monsters and um, with my children P rated PG okay in the very opening scene there was two men kissing one another and so needless to say that went right off of my television I didn't continue to watch so I don't know you know whether they got married and lived happily ever after or not I just don't know um, and I don't really want to know what was once called gender dysphoria and, and uh, considered by the medical community a psychological disorder is now accepted as normal and you are deemed homophobic or transphobic for not playing into their delusion and using the pronoun that they want you to use when referring to them. And all of this confusion seems to be growing more and more in our culture. It's, it's like it's getting worse every day. I spent some time in Orlando last week, just so you know where I was with my wife. And I saw things that 
just absolutely boggle my mind. And I, I feel like I sound like one of my grandparents right now, but it ain't the world that I grew up in anymore. It's a different place. John tells us, he gives us a little, just a little insight in 1 John five nineteen. He says, we know that we are from God. Okay. Now, he, he gives us a lot of proofs to, to prove that we are from God in that book. So if you've not read 1 John and you don't know that you are from God and that you belong to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, go to 1 John and read and you'll find out. Okay. But then he says, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What that means is the world is under the influence of the devil. That their minds have been darkened. When we talk about the world, we're not talking about the sphere, the earth itself. We're talking about the world system and the people who live in darkness. Lost people. Now, Paul provides us great insight into how they got there here in Romans chapter 1. So we're going to read the beginning of uh, the passage here that we've chosen, selected for today, which is Romans 18 through 32. But let's just read the first paragraph. Why don't you stand with me? We'll read verses 18 through 20. If you have your Bible, it's on the screen there. You can read along with us. Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So... They are without excuse. Let us pray together. Our Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray, God, that you would give us a hunger for your word, to understand it. And Lord, give us faithfulness to obey it. Father, give us boldness to proclaim it. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us now. Our ears are open. Our hearts are open, and we are ready to receive your word now. May your spirit have your way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here's the biblical truth this morning that I want us to see. Okay, We talked about the the confusion or the delusion. When we suppress the truth, we swallow a lie. You get that? When we suppress the truth, we swallow the lie. Okay, And that's what's happening in the world around us. People who are, are seeing the truth of God displayed, written in the heavens, and they're ignoring it, suppressing it, sweeping it under the rug. Now they're believing the lie of Satan. And so when you look again with me in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness, an unrighteousness of men. Now that's opposed to the righteousness of God that Paul has just spoken of in verse 17. 
And we're going to get to verse 16 and 17 when we get to the end of the passage. We're going to go back to that. But I want you to understand that this is a direct contrast between the righteousness of God and the rebellious unrighteousness of man. And, and there's this downward, downward slope that Paul illustrates for us that mankind is on because of what they've done. They have willfully rebelled against God. So the first step down that slippery slope is willful rebellion against God. And what results from that is the wrath of God that is upon us. That word wrath, it literally means burning in the Old Testament. God's anger is kindled. It's burning. His punishment. You don't want to be caught on the business end of God's wrath. It's not a happy place to be. And today we want to emphasize God's love without talking or speaking about His wrath. But the thing is, when you tell a half-truth and you, you suppress the other, the whole thing becomes a big fat lie. Paul doesn't equivocate or water down the truth. He says God's wrath is revealed. God is angry with the willful rebellion of mankind. He's angry about it. And this word suppress, this is what they do. They suppress the truth. The word suppress, me, suppress means to smother or cover it over. In other words, they know it, but they suppress it. And the thing is, you know the truth. God has revealed it to you. In fact, in verse 19, he says, God has made it plain to them, because God has shown it to them. The word plain there means crystal clear. That's what the Greek word means. It means God has made it crystal clear, the truth about His existence. God isn't hiding from His creation. Paul mentions basically two points of revelation or two witnesses that declare His existence in every single person. To every single person. In verse 19, it The Greek literally says, within them. God has revealed it within them. He's made it plain to them. It's like saying the truth or the proof is inside of you. It's inside of you and it's inside of me and who we are and how God created us to be. Listen, you can believe if you want to that you evolved from primordial soup, from apes, Or single-celled organisms if you want to. But it doesn't make you seem any more intelligent to to call yourself an atheist. It's absolutely silly to believe that. it's, It's much easier to believe that there is a creator. Right? Creation demands a creator. Reason and intelligence declares that there is an intelligent being. Right? Sovereign over it all. Order in the universe declares that there is a designer. The design declares the designer. Do you know that, I mean, if just a fraction of a percent that our earth was moved away from the sun, we'd all freeze to death. If it was moved closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. Or if the earth was, mass was a little bit more than the atmosphere uh, would just be absorbed into the earth, we'd have nothing to breathe. Or if the earth's mass was just a slight percentage 
uh, less than the atmosphere would escape in a space and we have nothing to breathe. Life on this planet is proof that God exists. And you and I, look, just if you just take your hand for just a moment and, and pull it up to your face. Now, don't slap yourself in the head. Now, some of you may need to get a, bit, a little bit closer than others, just depending on your bifocals and how they're adjusted. But look at your fingerprint on your thumb for me for just a moment. You know, this is why uh, the, the great company Apple has chosen to use the thumbprint of the fingerprint as the highest level of security that they could, they could think of. Why? Because your thumbprint, your fingerprint, is absolutely unique to you. No one else has that. Even identical twins have different fingerprints. Nobody else has that. And that's unique for every single person of the 700, I mean, uh, 7 billion people on the planet. 7 to 8, however many there are. It's different for everyone. The evidence of a creator is within you. And even more than that, in your conscience, which God gave you, which points to Him. Now your conscience is that that God-given antenna that's inside of you. It tells whether something is good or bad, right or wrong. But more so than that, it lets you know whenever you've been wronged. So you you say to somebody, I don't believe in objective morality. All you got to do is slap that person and they'll come right to their senses. Because immediately they're going to say, hey, why'd you do that? You say, oh, well, I don't know. I felt like it. Well, you can't do that. Well, why not? What's wrong to slap somebody? By whose standard? By my standard or your standard? Well, my standard says I can slap you if I want to. See, there has to be an objective morality out there. And for there to be objective morality and a conscience that, that tells you something is right or wrong, there must be a moral being, an ultimate morality. And that person is the creator of the universe. Well, not only do we have conscience, we also have the rest of creation. I mean, just think about the sun for just a minute. I want you to just think with me about the sun. Someone must have, someone really powerful must have created the sun. Now, I can't tell you how many joules of energy and all that stuff that has, but I can tell you this. It says the sheer energy that the sun produces is astonishing it's about one trillion, one megaton bombs in one second. That's how much the sun produces. It's enough energy for almost 500,000 years at the current needs of human civilization in one second. If we could just harness it all. And what that tells us is that there must be a Powerful creator to create something like the sun. And you look at what Paul says for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. So if we think about his power, he's a powerful God, but then we think about the fact that he is divine. We look at the divinity of God, the idea that God must transcend the natural order. In other words, he's not in it. He's not a part of it. He is the one who created it. 
that God is above it all. That He's different. He's divine. He's higher than you and I. And what Paul says is through conscience and through creation, every single person on the face of this planet, once they come to the age of reason, they understand that there is a God. And so then he goes on to say, they are without excuse. There's no excuse. I, uh, I remember whenever I was in the seventh grade, I had a, a new puppy dog, a new lab puppy dog. And you know what a lab puppy dog does, right? They chew everything. They're like l- little, little paper shredders or something like that. Well, I left my homework on the coffee table in the living room. My notebook with my homework in it. And my dog literally ate my homework. Well, I I went to school and I told people, my dog literally ate my homework and no one believed me. I even had the evidence. I showed them nobody believed me. You know, excuses. The only person that believes your excuse is you. You're the only one. God's not going to believe anyone on the day of judgment whenever they stand and say, I didn't know. Every person knows. If someone says that they don't believe in God, they are lying. They are lying. They are lying. There's a trucking company that has business all over the United States. The owner of the company gives all of his prospective employees, a lie detector test. And among other questions, one of the questions is, do you believe in God? Now, nine times out of ten, every person says, I believe in God. But every single time someone says, I do not believe in God, the lie detector says they are lying. They're lying. So what is this then for someone to say, I don't believe in God? It is willful rebellion. And therefore, the wrath of God abides on those who say they don't believe in God. But not only is that slippery slope begun with willful rebellion, as you slide down that slope, you go into, you slide into a wicked perversion. Your mind begins to believe things that are not true because you've lied to yourself about the truth. And you begin to believe your own lie. And ultimately, this, the devil is now taking control over your thought process. And so, Paul says in verse 24, Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. And back up here and hit verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. It's absolutely foolishness. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Did you hear that? Say that. Let's read that again. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You have fooled yourself to believe that there is no God. And now, you've opened up your heart and your life and your mind to rampant perversion. Wicked perversion. Well, how does that look? 
Well, Paul says it begins with idolatry. So listen to what he says next. He says there. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were dark, and claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Idolatry. Hosea 4 and verse 17 says, Ephraim is joined to his idols. Leave him alone. Well, that... I mean, that's almost like the worst thing you can say. God is saying, listen, if you're going to reject me and the knowledge that I have given you, that I'm here and I exist, I'm going to give you over to your idols. In other words, God says, have it your way. That's probably the most dangerous, worst state that a human being could possibly be in. For God to say, have it your way. And so God hands them over. To idolatry. And notice what they do. They make idols in their own images. And you notice what we do with idols. What humans do with idols. They make them look like images of the worst parts of human beings. I mean they're, they're grotesque and ugly. Think about Buddha. He's a big fat man. Gluttony. And you think about some of these other idols that are created out there and how they're grotesque and they got their tongue sticking out or they got all these ugly faces and things like that. And this is what people do. They, they take the, the, their sin because they love their sin more than they love God. They suppress the truth in their unrighteousness and then they take their sin and they build an idol or a statue to that And then they bow down and worship it. Gods of money, gods of sex, and gods of pleasure. And they worship them. And and don't sit in your pew and think, okay, well, America doesn't do that. Because we do that. We bow down to gods of money and sex and pleasure and power. And that idolatry, God looks at a nation that's full of rampant wickedness and idolatry, and He says, have it your way. And then because of the idolatry, we enter into this cycle. We're going down the slope and we're tumbling downhill headlong. We enter into impurity. And as we, we, we take and we bow down to these idols, now impurity rushes upon us. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. When you deny God, you lose your sense of right and wrong. You begin to call good things, holy things, bad. And then you call evil good. I remember inspecting houses over on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And and because I'm traveling in my truck and all that, I... I eat a lot of fast food and junk food. And I, I, was, I knew that that was bad for me. I decided it was bad for me. So this particular day I decided I was going to eat healthy. So I pulled into Burger King. And, <laughs> and I got out and I went in. And uh, I ordered a salad. Because I saw that they had Fresh garden salad. I ordered a fresh garden salad. Well, it didn't take long to get the salad uh, 
had it in just a moment. She went to the little refrigerator and pulled out a prepackaged, prepared um, salad with the dressing and everything. So I sat down at the table with my mouth watering and my uh, cup of, I won't tell you what was in it, and uh, I sat down to eat my salad. And I opened it up, poured the dressing on it, stabbed my fork into my salad, and lifted my fork, and along with my salad came a thick, long, black hair with my salad. So needless to say, I took that as a sign from God that I needed to order a Whopper and fries and a big old sweet tea, and that's what I did. That's what I ate. Now, how many of you would have eaten the salad with the hair in it? How many of you would have even just pulled the hair out and eaten the salad? No, it was... How many of you want to eat some... Or drink some... uh, Swallow some flies with your sweet tea? No. And this is what impurity is. And, And the thing is, in our culture today, we're accepting that which is ugly and impure and dishonorable, Paul says. We're accepting that along with everything else. And we're calling evil good. And then we go the other route and we call good, the whopper and the fries, evil. And so we're mixing it all up. Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And then in Thessalonians, Paul says, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion. You understand what delusion is, right? It's, it's thinking that is watered down. It's literally what the word means. You've watered your thinking down. You've muddled it all together and it all blends together. It's all as clear as mud in your mind. God sends that to people who suppress the truth. So, in other words, when you suppress the truth, you'll swallow the lie. So that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Paul's using almost the same language right here to the Thessalonians. He's saying, listen, by your unrighteousness, when you suppress the truth, now you've opened up your mind and your heart to believe that which is false. And now because of your idolatry and your impurity, now you slide into moral decay, immorality. And he talks about dishonorable passions, women with women, men with men. Leviticus 20 and verse 13 say that they're an abomination. If a man lies with males as with women, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. But see, here, this is speaking specifically about the sin of homosexuality. But we can talk about all sorts of immorality and put it all in that same category as evil and abominable to God. No matter what it is. We're not just picking on, and Paul's not just picking on, homosexuality. But he goes on to say it's contrary to nature. Because you've denied that there's a creator and that there is a created order that must result from a creator. Now you're willing to do all kinds of unnatural things. And because of the unnatural thing that you do, now you're bringing in dishonor. And it's going to eventually cause... The damnation of your soul. 
The binary relationship of male and female is expressed not only in mankind, but all throughout the created order. Our own biology bears witness against the immorality of our culture today. And he goes on to say it's shameless. Like they don't care. What are they doing today? Well, they're trying to normalize these behaviors and desensitize our culture. And even your own children and grandparents, your grandchildren, you've got to be careful. And then he, he goes on to say they receive the due penalty for their error at the end of verse 27. HIV AIDS, monkeypox, depression, suicide rates that are nearly three times that of the general population. Additionally, the LGBT community experiences five times the amount of poverty and homelessness than the general population. Ultimately, the Lord's wrath is upon people who engage in the sins of Sodom. Jude talks about this in Jude, verse 7. Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursue unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. When you accept what God rejects, you will suffer the consequences. This slippery slope ends with woeful corruption. Willful rebellion. Wicked, wicked perversion. And woeful corruption. Now listen to the last part here. Verses 29 and following. He says, They were filled... Because God gave them up to a debased mind, what ought not to be done, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. The word full there is the idea of totality or completion. And it means, listen, whenever Satan finishes his work, you will suffer death. But on the way there, you will be all manner of evil. These people are literally full of it. Full of what? All manner of unrighteousness and evil. Listen to the list. Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife. Hey, Peter, do I need to slow down for you a little bit? Okay. (laughs) He's working his hands. Covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit. Maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Somebody said, what was Boaz before he got married? He was ruthless. That was Brother Jim. But they're full of all of these things. And listen, this is a picture of a person that Paul describes without hope and without God in the world. A lost person. Who in their lostness desire their unrighteousness more than the truth of the existence of God and suppress the truth. The result of that life is this absolute woeful corruption that comes upon them. 
Then he goes on to say, and though they know, and you can just underscore that line there. Remember I said, if they say that there is no God, they are lying. The Bible says, though they know, they know. And not only do they know that there's a God, the Bible says they know that whoever practices these things deserve to die. They do it anyway. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, or do you not know? And that's rhetorical, and what Paul is saying is, you do know that the unrighteousness, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. There's about four times that those words, that phrase occurs in the New Testament. Every time it has to do with judgment of God. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to say this about you and me as Christians. He says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, there's hope. There's absolutely hope for a person who's on that slippery slope that leads to condemnation. Eternal judgment. And that hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. Because if we, were, if, if we were left to our own devices, every, any one of us, every single one of us, you, me, every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of this planet, we'd all be in a state of woeful corruption that leads to eternal damnation. Every one of us. But Paul has already mentioned earlier in the book of Romans, I, wanna, I want you to look back with me once again at the text and go back up to verses 16 and 17 and listen to what he says. He says, for I am not ashamed. Paul says, even in the midst of that Roman culture that was just as deviant as ours is today, Paul says, even in the midst of all of that wickedness that's all around him, he says, I'm not ashamed to preach right into that culture and preach what? I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. Paul defines that as the death, burial, and resurrection A man that died, that proclaimed himself to be God, but then proved it after he had died on the cross and been put in a tomb by raising on the third day by the power of God. He proved that he is God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that testimony. Why? For it is the power of God. It is the power of God to set a a woman who's been living in, in a lesbian lifestyle For 10 years. Or or a man who's been a drunkard. For 20 years. The gospel can free that man. The gospel has the power of God to turn a life completely around. And make you a new person. Nothing else has that power. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. That means everyone. Anyone And everyone. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God, not man's righteousness, not your ability to be good, and not my ability to be good, but God's righteousness is revealed in Christ. 
for, from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, the Bible says, for they know. I told you to underscore that, underline that. It's not a knowledge problem. It's not that we don't know that God exists. What is the problem? The problem is faith. We choose to turn to Him in faith. And you can do that today, no matter who you are or where you are. You can quit believing the lie. You can stop right now. And you can say, I believe that there is a God. And I know that He loves me. Or else I wouldn't exist. But I also believe that Jesus is that God made flesh. He died on the cross for my sin. And He was raised again on the third day. And if you will believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, the Lord Jesus will forgive you. And He will make you a new person. And He'll give you eternal life. If you want that, why not receive it today? Don't swallow the lie that the devil is feeding you. Bow your head. Close your eyes. I want to lead you in a prayer. This is a simple prayer. But it's your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And your commitment to Him. It's not a magic prayer. But the prayer can give you eternal life if you mean it with all your heart. Because this prayer is your faith in God. Dear Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things I know are wrong. And I have failed to do what I know is right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin to be separated from You for eternity. But Jesus, I believe that You lived a sinless life and You died on the cross for me, a sinner. So I give You my life right now. I repent of my sin and I trust You as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. Thank you for my salvation. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. We stand with me. This is our invitation to you. That if you have just asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you've repented of your sin, and He's offered you salvation, for you to share that, because that's not something to be held back. That's something to be let out and shared with every person around you. And Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, that He will be ashamed of you whenever He comes with His Father and their heavenly angels. So we don't want to be ashamed of what's been done. By confession, we receive justification. So here's the thing. You come as the Lord leads you. And you share If you need prayer, you can come. Our prayer counselors will be here at the altar. This will be your opportunity to pray alongside a brother or sister in Christ. Where you could just pray right there in your pew. If you know that Myrtle Grove Baptist Church is the place where God has called you to love and serve Jesus, then you come. This is your opportunity. Let us sing together.